self-care in the popular conception is additive. It's a sheet mask. It's a manicure. It's a spa night. You know, it's another activity that you do to add joy or calm to your frenetic life, but it does nothing to the, you know, what, where does the time come from? You know, if you do your self-care in overtime, you're still going to be burnt out. Welcome to Should We? Creative conversations about the everyday choices that make us. This episode is brought to you by Cocoon. That's my coaching practice where I help people find their purpose, take creative risks, and define leadership on their own terms. If you're curious, you can schedule a time to chat with me at the-cocoon.co. We're back. We're back. <laughs> I was. Uh, it's been I, a long time. Yes. So I was just listening to our last episode, actually, and in the at the time you said you were eight and a half months pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you have like a real boy. In your He's life. a real little boy. He has red hair. Um, his name is Cooper. He loves blueberries and dogs and feeding people things and getting into trouble. He's the cutest ever. <laughs> I'm a very proud auntie. And um, also, as I was listening to that last episode, I felt like I wanted to do a survey to our listeners, like, how many of you thought we were never coming back? <laughs> we got you. Gotcha. We came back. Surprise. Surprise. Um, yeah, we just wanted to, so we did. Yeah, and I mean, so much has happened. So, I I mean, okay, so we we have some should we questions. The, the first one is like, should we catch up? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a gimme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we should catch up. I mean, like, so Diana, basically assuming the last time we recorded was like fall 2018. Mm-hmm. Is, are there any updates you would like to share? From your life? Uh, well, um, you know, the big one was becoming a mom. Um, and that happened in November 2018. And Cooper was two weeks late, so that was very dramatic. I was very ready for him to come out. Um, and then I took about six weeks leave from, uh, not six weeks, six months. I took six months of leave from my job, um, which I uh, think should be normal, but isn't. Um, it's not a normal benefit to have. It was a pretty special benefit to have for my work. Um, and so uh, I, I mean, I, I guess the summary, like high level is, I really enjoyed it. Um, I did really enjoy it, but also Lisa was there uh, behind the scenes for all the ups and downs of it. Uh, you know, it's no joke taking care of an infant. Um, I will say that they 
uh, leak a lot of fluids <laughs> of various kinds. <laughs> and, um, it's a constant process to deal with that. Um, and also it's just like a stamina game, you know, it's like not that high intensity. Most of the time, if you're lucky, at least it wasn't for, for Cooper, every kid is different. Um, but he was a pretty chill baby, but it's just, you know, around the clock, uh, et cetera. So I, uh, watched a lot of television in those early days. Um, on my phone specifically, I would like prop my phone up on my knee and babies don't really like sound is not such a disturbing thing to them in their first months. So I would just, you know, play baby ballroom on Netflix on my phone on full blast in the middle of the night and Cooper didn't care at all. So, um, yeah, it was a, a good experience to, um, do something really hard and really kind of, um, indulgent at the same time. The really hard thing is being a mom. The really indulgent thing is, watching infinite tv yes uh should we watch as much tv as we want yes <laughs> yeah lisa and i have been calling it uh like intuitive tv watching or intuitive laziness <laughs> <laughs> um so okay this this kind of leads into our um like main should we question which is well, we were trying to figure it out. Um, I was saying, should we perform self-care? And then you were you were like, oh, shouldn't it just do self-care? You know, and I, so Diana, I wanted to let you know that I, I did mean perform, like intensely. Uh-huh. And that's because I feel like, you know, we've both thought a lot about self-care, you know, over the past more than a year. and. We've done a lot of self-care for various reasons. And, um, but then there's also this thing of performative self-care, performing it. And like we were sharing some articles back and forth and there are some books that we've read recently that are kind of giving me the sense that a pendulum is swinging where and I almost feel like it's a pendulum swing to New York versus San Francisco, mm-hmm. where before being busy, being super busy was like very trendy, badge of honor kind of thing. And in some cases, it's still is. I, and it seems like now a pendulum is swinging to where um, that's not actually trendy anymore. The trendy thing is to perform your self-care, which Mm -hmm. I would say like the former is more um, a little bit more of a New York mentality, like performing your busyness. And my experience of San Francisco is like a lot of people with like very like shiny hair and very clean shoes and seeming very serene. Like super cool, chill vibe, but they're kind of like ducks, like under the surface, they're paddling real hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember the first time I spent a chunk of time in New York, I was there for a summer doing an internship. And I felt great because I realized that just neuroticism was the background noise and I was super normal there. 
Um, and that felt great. I actually could really calm down. Yeah, right. It, it is interesting. The effect of, of that being like reflected back. I, I definitely felt some unease about, you know, the opposite of that in the Bay Area. Like, you know, it was like really um, like uh, the the polar opposite of like everyone seems so chill, but I just know they're not deep down mm-hmm. I gotta find out the truth uh-huh yeah it makes you an investigative reporter you know doing an expose called life uh-huh or it could make you feel alone like if mm-hmm. you feel overwhelmed you could be like how come I'm the only one um but uh okay should we talk about do less well, we should, but we're missing a big piece here, Lisa, which is that you don't live in San Francisco and you don't live in New York. Oh, right. I didn't do my catch-up. Yeah. <laughs> so, since, gotcha. we last, since we last recorded, I moved from San Francisco to Santa Fe, New Mexico. I moved there sight unseen. Um, this is not the first time I have done such a thing. Um, this is one of the reasons why, like, I I feel really good and comfortable as a coach is that, like, when, when people come to me with, like, a dream or, like, oh, I have this thing I'm thinking about doing, like, it's a big risk or whatever, I'm, like, bring it on. Like, just, <laughs> I, I have space. <laughs> would you like to turn your life upside down if so you've come to the right place (laughs) but also like I I mean I hope most people don't have to turn their life upside down like lots of people come to me and you know ultimately figure out that the thing that they were longing for was like right in front of them or there was an incremental shift or you know, whatever. That I'm, I'm ready for the whole spectrum. I would not necessarily recommend taking <laughs> flying leaps like I do <laughs> sometimes. Um, but it's just basically, I, I guess I have a high tolerance for creative risk taking, and so I did that with Santa Fe, with the hypothesis that I would feel really good here, that. It would be a peaceful and creative place that would kind of just like be good for my constitution. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's true. I actually love it even more than I expected. So um, I'm really glad I moved. Also, just like I have like a PSA about San <laughs> which is that. A lot of the time when I say I live in Santa Fe, people say, oh, isn't it so hot there? Or like, you know, oh, is, like, isn't it very flat and boring or something? <laughs> um, Santa Fe is actually really high up. Like for our Bay Area listeners, it's like kind of like Tahoe in terms wow. of altitude. Um, seven, it's 7,200 feet. So, like, there's a lot of snow on the ground right now. The summers are pretty mild. Um, there are mountains right nearby, rolling hills. It's a lovely place. 
and it's probably not the desert you imagine. <laughs> it's the desert, but high. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's a high altitude desert. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's me. That's where I live. Oh, and so while I've been here, uh, my life, the shape of my life has been a little bit different. I've been taking it slower than before, and I got this book, How to Do Nothing. <laughs> um, many people have probably seen it. It has such a pretty cover with like pink flowers on it, which is why I bought it. <laughs> I bought it while I was in San Francisco, and I brought it here, and I put it on my coffee table. And like this book has kind of been like a symbol for me of this year because I keep thinking I should read that book. And then I like look at it and then I'm like, or I could do nothing. (laughs) (laughs) What if it is just blank inside and that's the whole, uh, the whole trick could, could, okay. That would be a great idea. (laughs) I mean, that's essentially a journal, right? And I would be up for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that since we last recorded, both of us have added a lot more margin to our lives. Um, And, you know, there was a time that I think is captured on audio, uh, where I was leading, I think, five parallel lives at once. And, uh, you know, that is not really possible, turns out. So (laughs) I was sort of doing it. But um, I, in retrospect, can see that I was pretty burned out. And I think that burnout looks different for everyone. But for me, it really looked like not having the time to be interested in my own life. Uh, What I mean by that is that it was sort of hard to enjoy simple pleasures because I felt so beholden to all my many different commitments. So In preparation for motherhood, I wound down a lot of stuff. I went on parental leave a few weeks before I was due. You know, we wound down, should we? We put a pin in it, if you will. Uh, You know, I wound down my private coaching practice. I wound down a lot of things. And then uh, I just was a mom for a while. A mom in a very, very thorough TV watcher. And then I uh, added work back in. So I went back to work in May uh, of last year. And so now I'm like a working mom. Uh, There's also a show called Working Moms that I can recommend. So good. That's (laughs) so good. Is a dream come true. It truly is. If you haven't watched it, and you like this podcast, you will like that show. Yeah. Um, I I really empathize with it a lot as um as a single mom with no kids. <laughs> that's, that's basically how I think of myself now. But yeah, I'm like an honorary mom. I feel like oh. it just just so happens I don't have but I love that show and would highly recommend it to other moms and honorary moms. 
Yes, exactly. I agree. Uh, of all genders. Um, That's right. So, yeah, it was. Uh, anyway, so then I became a working mom. Um, but the thing that I told Lisa on the eve of returning to work was I was like, you know what? I'm just a new mom with clear priorities, you know. Um, and it was a little bit of psyching myself up, but I think that it's actually been really true. You know, I'm uh, I'm trying to think of a new way to say this besides I'm more efficient with my time, but I just think about time much more realistically. I think I understand mm. that most things you have to schedule an hour for them to happen at all, but they only take 15 to 20 minutes of that hour. <laughs> and so... You know, that, that you know, sort of paradox of like, is it 20 minutes or is it an hour? I used to think that I could just stack three 20-minute things in a row. And now I know the truth, which is it only takes 15 minutes, but you need an hour for it to, you know, to buffer it, to really give yourself a lot of phone time before and after. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and phone time. By phone time, uh, what do you mean exactly? Oh, I mean just assorted phone tasks. Um, I did, <laughs> by the way, delete Instagram from my phone at one point during my leave. And now I just uh, I'll it, reinstall it from time to time to see my husband Eric's photos of Cooper because I like to see the engagement on them um, <laughs> because I'm, I'm shameless. Uh, but then I delete it just often enough to keep myself guessing and it sort of stays out of my Siri shortcuts because I'm like, uh, don't have a continuous record of engagement with it. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm definitely, I broke that habit, but I started a New York Times style section habit uh, instead, which is basically the same. So, yeah. Anyway, phone time is just do it. You do you on your phone. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And I got to say, Diana, you're so great at catchphrases. And as you know, I now I use that too. I'm also a new mom. <laughs> with priorities <laughs> in my head you know it really it helps reframe things you know mm, around yeah. like what really matters here mm-hmm. yeah um so i'm curious like should we talk about the big families article the oh yeah article? yeah for sure um so uh my connection to this is that over the holidays here in Santa Fe, I went to see a performance by my favorite fiddler, because this is the sort of thing you do in Santa Fe. And uh, it's Natalie McMaster. She's remarkable. And it turns out that Natalie has like seven kids, I think. And they all also play the fiddle, um, except for her uh, her two youngest, who are just too little to hold one yet. Um, and there was this amazing part of the performance where, like, I didn't even know the kids were coming, but they, one by one, they start coming out. One little kid comes out playing the fiddle, and they're so tiny, and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is so sweet. And then, like, another one comes out, and another, and then so many small humans playing the fiddle, being adorable. I cried my eyes out, Diana. I cried my eyes out, and I couldn't figure out why. Like, why is it so moving to, like, be such a large family? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, 
doing something, you know, making music together. And I feel like that this article that you sent me in the New York Times, I think it it really spoke to the way that we romanticize big family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that first of all, there's something extremely cozy about a big family, and coziness is highly attractive uh, to me, at least, and I think to you as well. Oh yeah, it's um, but, one of my top values. <laughs> top value, right up there. Um, but also, as you were talking about that scene, something that occurred to me is that uh, it's moving to think about someone making family their top priority as it would seem to have to be if you had so many. And yet, mm-hmm. like this family that I was admiring, like they're like, you know, internationally famed uh musicians Mm -hmm. so like if the parents have these like individual and shared careers and like major accomplishments in music and so I guess something that was interesting to me is that their work seemed so deeply integrated into their family life it was Mm -hmm. all of a piece yeah Completely. I mean, there is something, part of what the article in the New York Times went into was just saying that large families, people tend to have a fascination with because it seems like such a feat. How would you make it work? You know, and I have some fascination about that with Natalie McMaster, like, how do they all go on tour together? You know, that's not, you know, seven children and two parents plus staff is larger than most vehicles you know it's just uh there's all kinds of just uh how does it work uh questions but yeah i i see that you're interested in the logistics yes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know i think there's this other aspect of like probably the real question in my mind was like but how do you scale perfect parenting mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. it's like oh but no there's no such thing as perfect parenting and you know as you add more as you start to outnumber the adults with children like maybe there's there's more incentive or it's just a lot more realistic to just like even let go of the idea mm-hmm. of perfection yeah, and there's this other parenting article in the New York Times that we both read that was pretty mind-bending, where the author talked about how instead of self-care, which it did position as performative, like self-care in the popular conception is additive, it's a sheet mask, it's a manicure, it's a spa night, you know, it's another activity that you do to add joy or calm to your frenetic life, but it does nothing to the, you know, what, where does the time come from? You know, if you do your self-care in overtime, you're still going to be burnt out. There has to be like a caveat here that like, you know, we, we both have privilege and we like, I feel like I am in some ways reaping the benefits now of 
the times when I was, you know, um, living multiple lives at once, you know, mm-hmm. where it's, it's like, in some ways, it, it is a little bit easier for both of us to now say no to things. And now decide to only live one life at a time <laughs> and to do things in succession. Um, yeah, but I'm glad I'm giving it a try for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, there, you're right. There's such an interesting relationship to ambition, which we've talked about on this show before, where, you know, we were both relentlessly ambitious for big chunks of time. And I would say now, you know, we still have big hopes and dreams and plans now, but the difference is not placing lots of simultaneous bets just to see. And so, you know, it's almost parallel to, I think about, you know, I'm a product manager and worked at startups and in the early stages of startups, you have to try a lot of different things because you're not sure what will stick, what will have product market fit. And, you know, some of those things turn out to be surprising failures and nobody likes them. And some of them turn out to be surprising successes. And it's really never the thing that you could have predicted. And if it is, that's surprising too. And so there is this transition point where uh, once you find product market fit, there's a moment of saying, okay, it seems like this is working. Let's fan the flame. But also shortly thereafter, can we streamline like which of those bets are vestigial limbs at this point that we can think about, uh, think about doing away with. And I think that there's a process like that for winnowing a life also. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I feel like there was also somewhere in there, there was a turning point for me where I, where I just had to realize that working harder on more things, became truly counterproductive. Like I, mm-hmm. I had a manager who gave me this great feedback at one point, like you need to stop volunteering for everything. And <laughs> that was very confusing feedback to hear, right? Like, mm-hmm. isn't it so good that I'm so eager and willing to do everything there is to do? And ultimately, you know, as in, in becoming a leader, like that wasn't the way forward. Leading by um, maxing out your capacity and operating at a frenetic pace, like doesn't set a good example for anybody. And it doesn't leave space for other people to um, take advantage of some of those opportunities too. Right, exactly. And I had this fascinating experience coming back from my parental leave where I felt very supported throughout by my team, you know, by my managers, and and I was in touch with them as much as I wanted to be, which was rarely, but more toward the end, you know, Um, occasionally, but I wanted to try to protect the bubble uh, pretty well, and they were very supportive of that. Um, But then coming back, you know, we'd grown the product management team a lot and we've continued to. And the, you know, the other early days, PM and I um, were both parents now and we were sitting back and reflecting like, wow, maybe if we'd like done less earlier, we could have hired more people sooner. You know, there's some, there's some not, uh, not that 
it's a pretty direct correlation between us uh, kind of sinking back into more of a normal capacity and getting to grow the team. So there's lots of other factors. You know, the business has to be doing well enough to support that. And there was also something good about what we did in the early days, too, sort of being scrappy enough for anything. I'm not trying to change any of that history, but wow, it's a pretty uh, meaningful lived experience to see sometimes things don't get worse. You just add more help. Yeah. Yeah. And, and more opportunity for more people. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I kind of want to circle back to the mention of this book, Do Let's, Mm -hmm. because I feel like people are going to see it in the world, you know? And um, it definitely, when I saw this book, when, when you shared it with me, I thought, okay, maybe this book is going to get into this stuff that we're talking about here. Um, in fact, it, um, we both wouldn't recommend it. I would not recommend it. Uh, Lisa would not recommend it. We both would not recommend it. Um, I think I wouldn't recommend it because uh, the title is good, I think. Uh, it's a great title. <laughs> it's a great title. <laughs> Uh, but it's, um, it feels like it's still holding a lot tightly. Um, and it is not, you know, the author is still holding a lot tightly, it seems. Um, and holding stuff tightly is not my, what I connect to doing less. Right, right. I mean, I think that I would describe this book as sort of part of the problem of like performative self-care and like onerous self-care mm-hmm. you know where there's like it's a very complicated methodology of tracking one's menstrual cycle and the stages of the moon which like t- totally cool with that like for if that is of interest but I think when she's connecting, she makes it seem like, I don't know. I I had to put the book down, not very far into it, because she kind of makes it seem like that's the only or best way to run a business. Then you should connect it to your business seasons. I don't know. It just felt like she was... um, uh, I felt like she was creating more work for people. You know, I was like, okay, I have some time in my life right now. I have margin. I'm not overwhelmed. I still wouldn't do this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime there's a planner or printable pages to fill out, my alarm bells go off. (laughs) I can't. I can't. But I think that it's actually an interesting case of a book written by someone who comes from a direct sales background, which is one of the clearest cases of everyone selling something on the internet, period, but also especially on Instagram. Uh, I think the influencer economy really creates this uh, slippage between performing self-care and selling something. Um, And 
that's something that in deleting Instagram haphazardly every now and then, I've been trying to kind of break for myself. You know, I think I uh, it is a very tempting time as a new parent to post a lot to Instagram, and I would not begrudge anyone the joy of those likes flowing in. For me, um, <laughs> for me, uh, the occasional performance within Instagram then kind of puts me on the same wavelength with everyone else in their performances. And then I'm in this uh, sort of like constellation of performances where it all feels normal and natural and like as it should be. But stepping out of that and refusing to perform helps me see the truth of it a little bit more from a distance, I think. And one of the things I realized is that I don't want to be an influencer. I have no desire to have a personal brand like that right now. And I think I always thought I would need that so that I could sell the book I would write. But then recently I've decided no one really reads books. So it's okay. <laughs> okay, Diana. This is a very controversial statement, which I feel like needs a lot more context. It's just the thing is like I feel like we're having we are living in the golden age of TV. You know, <laughs> so it's just like, I'm just not going to feel guilty. I'm not going to feel any shame about the fact that I haven't read the How to Do Nothing book, but I've watched a lot of good shows <laughs> yeah. lately. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, nobody reads books is obviously an untrue statement, but just in terms of the special place that book writing and book reading held in my brain and my heart, I had to decompose that and say, is this really the only way I can be happy? Like I write a book and then what then? I write a book and then I need to become an Instagram influencer so I can sell it. Right, right. And you know what, Diana? I'm convinced that Instagram is really just like QVC 2.0. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, don't you think? I mean, it's basically QVC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but I feel like if we were all more honest about that, it wouldn't be quite as, like, quite as much of a vortex, you know? But I don't yeah. know. Maybe, well, QVC is probably a vortex. Well, it's that it's it's that Instagram has a sheen of realness, but it's all performance, as is, you know, as are a lot of areas of life. Right. Right. Well, OK, so um, what's our conclusion here? Uh, number one, should we read books? I mean, no more or less than any other medium. <laughs> right. Like we don't we don't have to. We could do whatever we want. Yeah. Um, and should should we do less? Uh, we should probably do less. <laughs> yeah, but we shouldn't <laughs> read the book. <laughs> no, we shouldn't read the book. Um, but, like, yeah, seems worthwhile. You know, the two of us have found it very helpful to do mm-hmm. less. And say no to more things and just recognize that we're new moms with clear priorities. (laughs) Amen. And should we perform self-care? We 
we should care for ourselves as we are willing and able we don't have to perform it for other people absolutely not unless it is your calling in life to be an instagram influencer no judgment there then you really should perform it yeah for sure and i think that if you are you're probably intimately acquainted with all the ups and downs of that which leads to another catchphrase of the last 14 months which is that no job is glamorous on the inside including being in, in, an instagram influencer so if you're oh already on the inside and you still like it despite the fact that it uh has its ups and downs then it's probably for you right so i feel like this we're probably going to need to talk about this in a future episode but basically we have the hypothesis that no job is truly glamorous on the inside. So if you are listening and your job is actually truly glamorous most of the time, please reach out. Let us know. We're curious. We want to know. Okay. Well, uh, Diana, anything else you want to say before we go? Well, I'm really glad we caught up and I'm really glad to be back. Me too. Should we be back? Yes. Yes, we already are. Hi there, this is Lisa. I'm back to say thank you for listening. And if you'd like some coaching on creating more margin or more meaning in your life and work, you can schedule a time to chat with me at the-cocoon.co. And I hope you'll tune in next time for an interview with Jessica Collier, CEO of Spot and co-founder of All Turtles. We'll be answering the very important question, should we report harassment and discrimination at work?